start, salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim, and today I am joined by what's your name? Layla Qasim. What? Toys. 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 What toys? For me. No, 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 you don't touch the mic. You just talk into it. Okay. So tell me, Layla, what did you have for breakfast this morning? What? Dada. You didn't have dada. What's that? Should we sing a song for everybody? Yeah. All right. What song do you want to sing? Baba mm, Baba Black Sheep. Baba Sheep. Then. Three bags full. One for the little Layla who lives down there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, shortly after. Uh, recording the intro that you just heard uh, my co-host um, proceeded to have a bit of a tantrum um, and uh, due to needing a nap was unable to join us for the rest of the podcast um, yeah that was my my, my daughter uh, making her first ever podcast um, co-host appearance and probably last for at least uh, a few dozen years I don't know um, but yeah um, <laughs> sorry so so back back on to this week's podcast um, I'm joined by Sahara Al-Faifi who is a um, well I actually go into her bio right at the beginning of our conversation but she has quite a history in um, activism within the Muslim community um, and, and generally in kind of wider discourse um, in the UK um, and is currently running um, to be uh, on the Welsh Assembly um, and we go into the whole uh, Welsh political system structure and whatever else um, and, and it, it's actually quite an interesting conversation looking at it from her perspective uh, specifically as, as a woman um, a Muslim woman getting into politics but also one who wears the niqab um, which obviously as everyone knows is a has been a highly politicized um, topic of conversation in the past uh, especially comments from Boris Johnson for example um, and we just kind of talk about her motivations for getting into the space and talking a little bit about her experiences and, and what she kind of hopes to achieve um, in this space so yeah um, before we get into the podcast itself um, the link to support the Muslim Vibe is in the description. Please do consider supporting us um, on a regular basis. This is actually, I, I, I found out through LinkedIn that it's been six years um, since we launched the Muslim Vibe this week, um, which is, alhamdulillah, an incredible milestone for us. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been able to produce just such a wide variety of content and work with so many freelancers get so many incredible guests on the podcast conduct interviews work with organizations um it's been a it's been an amazing journey um and and we're we're very excited for the next six years i guess um and, and we hope you guys will join us on that journey and and as i said you know whilst we uh rely and depend on advertising revenue um a, a large part of how we sustain ourselves is is through um our audience um supporting us and it's it's dozens of people just giving very small amounts on a monthly basis which makes a huge difference and helps us 
to survive and to continue growing so um yeah please do join us in our mission and and, and get involved i've also um I, I have mentioned a few times and i always do actually about getting in touch um i think my email address should be in the description as well it's salim at the muslim if you have any feedback thoughts anything really want to reach out uh please do because i think for us it's really important that we hear from our audience and we know um, how to tailor the content accordingly um yeah without further ado here is my conversation with sahar al-faifi salam sahar alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh salim how are you i'm good thank, thank you very much for for joining us on the podcast it's a it's a real pleasure um to have you on i think our paths have crossed a few times in the past yeah um, definitely but I, I know I've definitely seen a lot of your, your tweets. Um, well, on Twitter, you're quite active. And, and generally, I guess, in kind of Muslim circles and conversations, whenever there's something that, that reaches uh, a national kind of scale, um, you're usually involved in the conversation in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, we'll get into to that and, and, and all the work that you're doing, incredible work that you're doing. But I wanted to start, I guess, quickly by, by reading out your, your biography from your website, if that's all right. And then I have a, yeah. a very pressing question. Um, based on that. So uh, the biography reads, uh, Sahar Al-Faifi is a molecular geneticist by training and community activist by passion. Sahar's activism focuses on seeking to unlock the power of civil society, widen the Muslim participation and engagement, and build a broad-based alliance for different campaigns that include welcoming refugees, living wage, anti-racism, women's empowerment, and and anti-Islamophobia. She is a blogger at Huffington Post, writes for The Independent, and, and has participated um, sorry, and, and, and has participated in many TV shows and debates uh, against UKIP. She's also a skydiver. Um, to be honest, my question was about the skydiving because I just thought that was so out of place and random and, and, and quite cool. Um, so I think to start yeah. off with, tell me more about that. Is that like a one-off thing that you've done or have you been multiple yeah. times regularly? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you very much. I'm really, truly honoured to be finally in, in the Muslim vibe. Um, and thank you for your time. Uh, yes, we our paths crossed multiple times in many events um, and uh, uh, conferences. Uh, and it's a great pleasure to be with you. Um, in terms of skydiving, yes, it seems maybe a little bit out of place. Uh, but I think it's a good time to talk about it because the women who inspired me to be a professional skydiver actually passed away only yesterday or the day before uh, on Friday. Yes. Uh, So she was the oldest women skydiver in the world. Uh, Her name, uh, Dillis Price, 86 years old from my city, Cardiff. Um, And she passed away on Friday. So the story was, I was, I did skydiving before, but it's tandem skydiving, which means you're attached to somebody and you just do nothing and he jumps and you jump with them and that's it. Uh, But I've never had the courage to actually skydive in my own and do the training and get the license for skydiving until I met Dallas Price. Um, And she was the main motivation for me um, to, to become a skydiver. So no, I, do, I don't do it occasionally, though I stopped for a while because of COVID. Uh, I've done the uh, theory but school. You're, you're qualified uh, in terms of being able to go I'm not qualified own? yet. No, no, not qualified. Uh, but I can jump on my own. Um, but uh, it's, there are different levels, basically. And I'm still working towards my license. Wow. But yeah, I can jump on my own. Yeah. 
that's, 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 that's very brave. I, I mean, I, I know obviously it's one of those things that people do kind of one off for charity every now and like, you know, you, I've, I've bungee jumped, I think, um, uh-huh. years ago. Uh, yeah. and, and it takes incredible courage, I think, at least just to, to, to jump. It's very counterintuitive, right? Jumping off like some huge height. Yeah. Um, I can't, I haven't actually skydived before, but I, as I said, like everything that you do is, I, I would say, in some ways, in line with a lot of the guests that we have on the podcast. And, you know, we talk about all of mm-hmm. these issues. Um, but yeah. I, I saw skydiving and I just thought that's, that's really intriguing. I, I'd, I'd jump in and ask a, yeah. a quick question about that. So you should do it, you know, Salim? Uh, yeah, I, I should. <laughs> I should. I, I think, um, yeah, one day I, I'm going to blame COVID for now. Uh, so I think that buys yeah, me about okay. a year before I can, um, before I have to Try come it. up with a better excuse. Um, uh-huh. So th- th- I guess the framing of this conversation that we're having today is, is very much around um, your, your, well, your, your potential career in politics. Um, and I think also the, the activism work that you've done up until mm. now but we want to kind of look forward um, at, at the very real potential that, that you could be getting involved in, in, in Welsh politics. Um, mm-hmm. So I think out of pure ignorance, um, I'm, I'm going to allow you to kind of introduce and, and explain a little bit more about what position you're running for in the, I think it's the Welsh Assembly, if, I'm, uh, if I remember correctly, um, and, mm-hmm. and kind of how the system in, in Wales is different from, from that over here. Uh, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, most people are, are pretty much aware of, of the Westminster Parliament system and MPs and local councils and everything mm-hmm. else. But I know the Welsh have a, a different setup. And, and it, mm-hmm. it's very much, to be honest, as a sort of Londoner, my, you know, I, I think I told you this when we spoke last time, that my, my, my geography as it is, is bad enough because I live in London. That means I don't know anything north, anything north of Watford yeah. is the north. And, and anything All Londoners in- like this. We're very simple people, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, go, go on. T- tell me more about the Welsh yeah. Assembly and, and, and what, you're, um, what you're hoping to, to do. Yeah, thank you for your uh, question. Um, the Welsh Assembly is the Welsh Parliament and it has a Welsh name, um, which is the Senate. So whenever I say the Senate, it means the Welsh Parliament. And I don't blame you, uh, Salim, like a lot of people don't understand the different political uh, systems and, you know, not many people have the sufficient political literacy to understand it. And also it's a little bit complicated and different uh, from one region to, to another. So what you have, you have Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and then you've got uh, Westminster in England. Scotland has its own parliament, Northern Ireland has its own parliament, and Wales has its own parliament. Uh, but the way it works that the Welsh Parliament has decision-making powers in few fields, not in everything. So some fields we have to rely on Westminster, like the foreign policy, for example. Some fields, no, we own our decision-making powers, for example, culture, education, uh, agriculture, um, uh, health, uh, and so on. Um, and what that means that we in Wales, we can elect our own representative in our own Senate, the Welsh Parliament. Um, and you know, Westminster has 650 seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Welsh Parliament has 60 seats uh, in total, and each seat represents a constituency. So it's very similar to England in a way. The difference is, Salim, that in Wales, we use a different electoral system than England to enable better representation. And this system 
uh, is called uh, 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 the, the regional list system. So what you have, you've got 40 out of the 60 get elected in the similar way MPs get elected in Westminster, which is mm -hmm. through first past the post. If you yeah. heard about this term, yeah, yeah. term yes. yes. First past the post that ensures power between the two main uh, major parties. And people tend to vote for the parties instead of individuals. This is first past the post. Now in Wales, we have this, okay, for 40 seats, but then 20 seats represent regions instead of constituency. And this electoral system used is called single transferable vote. So people then vote based on preference and they can vote for two people at the same time if they want um, to, to ensure a better representation and democracy. So what I'm running for, to explain it easier, I'm running for one of the regions, not one of the constituency. And that means not anyone can vote for me or elect, elect me, but first of all, the party members need to select me first to represent that region mm -hmm. and if i'm selected then in the welsh parliament elections that is happening in may 2021 i will i will get elected so this is how it works uh, but why is it different and why is it better than westminster because of the system in welsh parliament we have 50 50 almost 50 50 women to men representation we've got 48 percent women Mm -hmm. and we've got uh, uh, 52 men. In Westminster, the case is different. You've got 30% women and the rest are, are men. So this system actually ensures better representation. So I really hope that I explained it in, in a, a little bit simplified form. I, I think so. I, I think anyone that follows um, British politics generally will know that, that you know, democracy on paper is very straightforward, but when it comes to kind of the practical realities of how the system is shaped. Firstly, I guess it does stray a little bit away from what a true democracy is and should be um, because mm -hmm. of, you know, some parties, for example, or, or yeah, some parties receiving like a 10% of the vote, for example, but receiving no or one seat no in the UK. Seat, I, exactly. I think this happened to UKIP um, yeah. in a previous election. Um, right. But yeah, so, so it is, it is confusing but i think you've 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 painted somewhat of a a, a picture of, of what's happening in wells and the party that you're running for is called plaid cymru is that right correct i'm really impressed you pronounced it right i was, I was about to ask with that pronunciation <laughs> this is literally from that one you know the election night in uh, like when you're watching the news till like 3 a.m uh -huh. I, yeah. I hear plaid cymru all the time i have no clue what it is or what it means or yeah. what they represent <laughs> so I, I guess the question was going to be tell me a little bit more about the party as well yeah, definitely. Uh, so Plaid Cymru means party for Wales. Cymru is the word, Welsh word for Wales. So party for Wales. Um, in a simple term, it is actually the Welsh version of SNP, the Scottish National Party in Scotland. Okay. So it is a left wing uh, party, the third strongest in Wales, and is expected actually to gain more seats in the coming elections uh, for many reasons but one of which is brexit so uh, plaid cymru is anti-brexit pro-independence so this is one of their biggest vision is to work through independent wales with full devolved powers in all issues so we don't have to rely on uh, westminster 
Um, and and the, the story is that I've never been interested in party politics, Salim, at all. Like being a community, being a student activist and then becoming a community activist, party politics was not on the radar at all. Uh, but the the call and the, the urge or the need for independence, uh, especially after Brexit, is what made me join um, the party. Mm. And, and now I'm, I'm running uh, to be actually the first Muslim and the first BME woman ever elected into the Welsh Parliament, which is quite historical. And the Welsh Parliament is 20 years old. Uh, but sadly never elected a BME woman or a woman of colour at all. Wow. And I, I was going to ask, actually, in terms of um, the, 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 I guess, the breadth of work that you've done up until now, community activism is something that I think a lot of people engage with. And as you said, student activism as well. Um, mm -hmm. but, but there almost seems like there's, there's that. And then when you get into um, politics in, in the very real sense, it's quite... Uh, I want to say almost far removed because on, on, on the one side, I think with, with the community stuff, you're kind of lobbying and putting pressure and, and being vocal and, and really trying to do whatever you can from the outside to change the system from within, or, or sorry, to change the system um, or, or to complain about the system. But then when you get into the space of actually uh, trying to get into power um, and being in a position where you can um, call the shots ultimately, what, what kind of triggered that thought in your head that actually now I want to start working from or trying to work from within the system and making change in that way? Yeah. I mean, when you talk about change, Salim, you've got two different approaches. You've got bottom to top approach, you know, from community activism or lobbying, influencing people in power or from top to bottom approach that you're on the top and then you influence uh, the, the, the community or the constituency or the region that you, you're uh, representing. And I've been always, you know, a person of bottom to top approach. Mm. I've been always, you know, in, into lobbying and community activism and, and I truly believe in it. So I wasn't, I was never a career politician. This is why the, I want to say never uh, a career politician, but I think what I am slightly fed up of is that the, the, the need to always asking people who might not share my background or uh, uh, my, my, or represent my class to represent me, like always asking them to represent our needs, always ask them, asking them to introduce new legislation that could you know, benefit the communities that we are representing. I'm not talking about only the Muslim community, but the BME community, the working class, the deprived and, and so on. And, you know, it was also difficult because I have been constantly target, you know, not only I'm not talking about uh, the verbal physical abuse in the street. That's normal. That's part of my life. You know, it, it's it's I'm used to it. I'm talking about the institutional racism, dis discrimination, the witch hunt, the smearing campaign, it was absolutely relentless, you know, especially when I announced my candidacy. I mean, since I was student activist, you've got far-right think tank, um, like the Henry Jackson Society, mm. which is a neocon, uh, pro-war, far-right think tank that really targets 
any Muslim who happened to be active in public life. And the way they target is accusing them of extremism. And when you ask them, okay, define extremism to me, they, they, they fail to define it um, accurately. And what happens that anyone, any voice that challenges the establishment or the status quo get labeled as, as an extremist. Um, it was funny at, at times, uh, painful at times, but for me now I've got definitely, you know, a very thick skin. But since I announced the candidacy, it has become much worse because obviously I'm now too close to a position of power, something that they don't want, you know. And this is why an institution Islamophobia is excluding Muslims from public life. So I, I wanted to ask, I mean, based on what you've just said, and I think, you know, we, we've seen that time and time again um, with, with Muslims in particular, and especially, I think, you know, when it comes to issues around the Middle East, um, people mm -hmm. love, love, love picking on, on statements that have been made or whatever else. But it sounds a bit brutal, but do you think it's worth it? I mean, the fact that as a Muslim and as a woman and as a niqabi, you have to work very hard. And we'll, we'll talk about, I guess, the niqab and representation, everything else in a bit. But there's like the, the odds are stacked against us instantly. I mean, the, the, the previous podcast guest that we had on, Dr. Soraya B., um, she was talking mm -hmm. about her experience and the fact that her uh, sixth form advisor told her not to bother applying for university because she wouldn't get in. She then got into Oxford mm -hmm. and went on to do a PhD at Yale and whatever else. But mm -hmm. it, I, I just feel like, especially when it comes to something like politics, but as you said, there is no representation. The journey mm -hmm. to get there is so difficult. And, and ultimately, I feel like the, you know, the head of state in the UK Boris Johnson, um, you know, we know what he said on record about Niqabis being uh, like letterboxes and bank robbers. Mm. Um, mm. And again, like I think a specific response to that we can we can discuss in a bit. But the question I'm asking is that with with the field so stacked against us and against you as an individual as well, with your kind of various layers mm. of identity, um, mm. what's the point? Yeah, um, it's tough is tough and i have asked myself many times is it worth it you know is it really worth it uh the the thing is um it is definitely politics today is very toxic is very divisive people of color immigrants are the main scapegoat and this is what made you know uh brexit campaign uh win um, is scapegoating minorities and the weakest of, of communities. And it could be, you know, um, something can put off anyone, really. But mm. for me, is a time like this, hope is born. You know, at time like this, people get angry and people get agitated. Like, there's no way I would accept this toxic thing. Okay, what am I going to do about it? You know, it's time, we've been now agitated, you know, agitated to make the change. And I feel that it's because it's toxic, I want to run and change that. You know, it is because it's divisive, I want to run and change that. You know, I have always said in many speeches that what's the point? The point for me is to exchange the politics of fear with the politics of hope. And, you know, some people might claim, well, you were the niqab, you are the epitome of division, right? You know, I've been, I've been told that many, many times, but it's not about that. You know, 
political arena has been dominated by uh, white uh, middle class men. And it's about time to change. And we've seen that in the American uh, elections, you know, four years ago. You know, it's when uh, uh, Trump won, the result was uh, the Congress is the most diverse ever in America. The first Somali women refugee being elected. Uh, the uh, a Hispanic waitress Alexandria Ocasio Cortez was elected. You know, it's during a time of despair, hope is born. And this is what I hope to achieve. You know, this is the point. And to be honest, Celine, like, even before I started to uh, politically campaign, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, motivates me is number one is pleasing God, Allah. You know, mm -hmm. that is my aim. You know, I don't want to please anyone. I want to use the politics as a vehicle to make a positive change. But secondly, is when I see women who thought that they cannot do certain things because of who they are either because of their skin color or what they wear, whether it's hijab or niqab or, or none. And that because the obstacles are massive, you know, the challenges are major. And it only takes one person to cause this breakthrough. You know, it is tough because I'm possibly the first Yemi woman running now in the Welsh Parliament, but I just hope that God enable me, Allah enables me to pave the way in order to make it easier for people after me, because ultimately proportional representation, it's key in any democracy. I, it's interesting, I, it's, and I'm just thinking, and I'm probably thinking a bit aloud here, in terms of, I've always seen it that the system, if we can just term it as the system, is, is like a, a huge ocean that's like gushing in one direction. Um, and, the attempt, I guess, sometimes, and this is why, you know, when you talk, when you talked earlier about top down versus, sorry, top down versus bottom up, um, you know, even with, with what we're trying to do with the Muslim vibe, it's that bottom up approach where, you know, this is our platform, we own the narrative, we can control um, this and we grow our audience and we take everyone on a journey together, but it's like very much grassroots and, you know, trying to impact on that level. I feel like when we don't own or we don't control the infrastructure uh, intrinsically in itself, then we can never succeed. Um, I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not trying to obviously dampen your your attempts in in terms of politics, but I, I'm just. I just want to have this kind of conversation with you about how, when even even with the the media space generally, like at like a mainstream um, organization, mainstream media company, you're you can make it as far as you can, and you can have some influence and some say. But ultimately, the, the overriding control is not ours. So the, the underlying narrative, the underlying agenda is always going to be controlled by somebody else. And personally, I feel the mm. same in, in politics as well. That th there's, mm. th there's, you can have like, and that's the other thing as well. Like, you know, when it comes to things of power, um, I always feel like people will give a little bit. So you'll have, you, you know, you, you'll be able to impact how frequently they collect bins in a region, for example, but when it comes mm -hmm. to actually social mobility, you know, larger, bigger issues, mm -hmm. um, how we get to that point of, of, of critical mass and being able to tip the scales in such a way that, that we were able to change, I don't know mm -hmm. how and when that happens. And, and I appreciate the fact that you've identified that, you know, the, the system, even though there is uh, some progress being made, 
there is still mm. a huge way that we need to go and and you see yourself as an individual that could um make mm. uh, the difference in in empowering somebody or, or even future generations can look at you as an example and say you know this is somebody mm. who despite uh, the various um uh, mm. obstacles has managed to kind of find herself in this kind of position do, do you understand what i'm what i'm getting at here i know it's a yeah. bit vague i understand um yeah you know it, it is definitely the system is controlled by the few and these few are really powerful you know financially political and and so on uh but at the same time you know how can you change the system if you don't take part of the system um and it doesn't mean that my way is the right way i think i feel that there's different way of doing it right. So what the Muslim vibe does at a grassroots level and uh, bottom to uh, uh, top approach, uh, it's the correct method for the Muslim vibe. And I've been always taking this um, uh, approach, uh, but now it's about meeting in the middle. What you need is like people working from bottom to top mm -hmm. and people from top to bottom and then meeting in the middle uh, to change the status quo, you know, to change uh, the system for the benefits of of the whole rather than the benefits of of the few, um, and it's it's a journey. You know, a lot of people don't understand that. You know, it really does take time. It might take years, but you know, when it comes to Muslim representation or BME representation, we're really good at complaining, like you know. We, we never hear we, we never hear politicians talking about pro, our prob, problems from let's say stop and search to prevent to poverty to you know the uh, uh, over representation of Muslims in prison for example and things like that because we don't have enough of us in the system to change it from within mm. and I feel uh -huh. this is what I'm trying to embark through this political journey is to be part of the system to change it to to benefit all you know it's not about muslims taking over you know i really hope uh, when this reaches the daily mail they don't take it out of context they love doing that you know they absolutely love it you know i'm not here to take over <laughs> the world and definitely not over wales but it's all about proportional representation and giving uh, not giving but empowering the voiceless to have their own voice and in terms of your own personal um journey I think you know you you mentioned and it was the way you said it was so blase but i think i feel like and i've heard this from other sisters and especially nikabi sisters as well like the the verbal and physical abuse that you've received that's just like a part of everyday life um mm. but but as i said like and it's probably you know because you're so because that's been your lived reality for for the majority of your life you just you don't know any other kind of way almost right but and, and and I was telling you as well earlier that I, I think you're you're probably the 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 second or maybe third Nikabi sister we've had on the podcast in over a hundred episodes, and and that's not by design or by choice, but it just mm. hasn't kind of uh, happened for whatever reason, you know, because often people will contact us or somebody will mention what somebody's doing, and then I'll reach out to them or whatever, but it's just kind of never come together, and I feel like there is this. Um, like I mentioned, it, it, you know, Niqabi sisters are a minority within the Muslim space and even amongst hijabi sisters who are also minority and everything else. Um, mm. But what, what has that experience been like for you 
personally, before we talk about getting into politics and activism and everything else, but personally, what's the, the lived experience of you as a, a, as a Niqabi um, in terms of what you've seen and been through just living your life? Yeah, I mean, um, I've answered this question many times and, you know, even ask, answering this question has become uh, also part of, of my life. But I apologize for adding to that. It's okay, um. <laughs> okay Salim. I think it's important for people to know um, the, the, the level of it and how it affects, you know, when, when someone calls you a terrorist and a bomber and go back to your country, is not only just a trivial verbal abuse on the side, it actually could affect your psyche. In, in one way or another. And I can, you know, share an example is um, when I used to work in the hospital and my house wasn't far from the hospital, so I had to walk. I cannot walk uh, from the same route every day. I really have to change it, you know, because I'm just worried that someone is following me and knowing where I work and, and could uh, abuse me. You know, these are, it does really affect your psyche. Mm. Uh, when you go to the train station, you know, you go, you look right and left and back and you're always like trying to be alert and aware just to, to defend yourself, you know, especially if I got to the train station, you know, eight o'clock and nine o'clock at night. Um, but what was really different this time in the last year and a half or two years, let's say, is that it's no longer the average white man who abuse you. It can be now actually men in suit who abuse you. And I remember vividly straight after Boris Johnson comments uh, describing veiled Muslim women as letterboxes and bank robbers, a white man in suit in Birmingham New Street uh, train station called me a letterbox. You know, it trickles down. Well, people don't understand that this toxic language actually trickle, trickles down. It really affects the psyche of the most vulnerable of our society. And in my case, a, a Muslim women. And it's, it's really sad to see because people even think, oh, because it's COVID and not many of us are out in the street is actually less. But when you look in the social media, it's unbelievable. Like the abuse in the social media, the Islamophobic abuse, xenophobic abuse is uh, rocket high, you know, and because we don't have effective legislation in the UK for, for social media uh, users, and it is growing, sadly, it's not like uh, reducing at all, not even with COVID. I apologize in advance, I'm going to ask another cliche question with your permission. Yeah, cool. <laughs> like I, feel, I, I feel bad now. Um, but no, I, I, I was going to ask, because again, you mentioned in, in one of the articles you'd written on the Huffington Post uh, around World Hijab Day, um, that it's, it's a kind of, the niqab is a, is a multidimensional um, mm -hmm. item or object or whatever for you. So mm -hmm. again, um, if you can kind of, I'll just ask it as a very cliche question. What does the niqab mean to you? <laughs> okay, Salim, you said it. <laughs> I <forgive> you. <laughs> uh, it's definitely is an, uh, is an act of worship. It's a mean for me to seek the pleasure of God or of, of Allah. You know, that is the main, the first and foremost uh, reason. But also it's a symbol of empowerment, liberation and resistance. Um, and it might sound odd to some people, especially some of the, you know, uh, 
extreme white feminists, you know, who are trying to impose their views that, oh, like you Naqabi women, you're actually oppressed and all of that. And impact is so liberating, you know, um, and also it's a symbol of resistance because, you know, people uh, like me are painted in a different way. You know, we're, we're paint, painted as a threat, as danger to society, as someone to be um, excluded. So me, by being me, I'm actually resisting all the stereotypes, not only resisting them, but also trying to, to break them down and you know, just widen the horizon of people understanding that not everything you hear is true and not everything you 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 told about is is true. And this is what happens like the, the general public are socially conditioned by the print media specifically to set, to see minorities in a different uh light and what happens with the muslim community we are always a security threat and we have to watch them and you know especially the niqabi ones they're too dangerous you know kind of thing so it is it is an act of worship it's a symbol of resistance and, and liberation do, do you feel a, a burden of responsibility to um to to positively represent because i i, I mean personally i've I, I felt this at times especially when i'm in uh, if we just call them kind of white spaces or non-Muslim spaces, um, where I'm I'm the only kind of visibly uh, Muslim person in the team. I guess now beards are more trendy, so I might not be Muslim or whatever. But you know, g generally speaking, it, it, it it's quite obvious that I'm Muslim. I think anyway, and and I think I have personally felt that kind of duty to uh, represent the faith and 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 be good so that people don't think bad of Muslims. Um, do, do you feel that when it comes to the club? Because, you know, even when it like looking within the Muslim community, maybe I'm, I'm not plugged into the right circles, but I, I see very few uh, niqab wearing sisters who are actively involved in things like politics and, and organizing events and whatever else, like yourself. You're one of very few that I, you know, I, I even before having met you, I knew of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the burden or responsibility for me is towards God, most and foremost, to be honest. Um, uh, I, I don't want to claim that I represent all Muslims, and certainly I don't want to represent all Muslims. I, I want to represent the needs and the concerns of Muslims. And I feel that if I'm in this white-dominated space, it might be really difficult to actually express an opposing views or something that they're not used to. But I feel it's our responsibility towards God, not mm -hmm. people, is actually to express these concerns and be vocal. And you know, Salim, uh, one of the most famous hadith, uh, the saying of the Prophet Muhammad when he was asked about what is the best of jihad, and jihad means struggle, um he is he said is the word of truth in the front of a tyrant so this is my jihad and this is what how i see it that if I, if god gave me the power uh, whether at a community level or at a political level god will ask me of how did i utilize that to help the communities and represent their concerns and needs rather than representing people because is is difficult there's no way you can represent everyone in in anyone but you can definitely represent 
common needs or common concerns that can affect most people. That's interesting. Um, and I think finally, looking at um, politics in general, uh, the you know the, the kind of areas that you're that are of interest to you through your activism work, um, like we mentioned earlier, I think issues around Islamophobia, women's empowerment, anti-racism. Um, I think refugees as well was on there as a welcoming refugees. Um, how do you feel about the the current landscape of, um, I guess, Muslims, um, but also female Muslims in politics? Um, and, and do you think, because, you know, you, you've mentioned that there's a need for more participation broadly. Um, but I guess, yeah, how, how do you feel about how things are currently in terms of the status quo and also what the future holds um, for politics and engagement within the Muslim community. Like, I, I mean, it would be nice to get an assessment from your side of where things are today um, and, and where we can and should go in the future. Okay. I mean, it's interesting time for British Muslims and for Welsh Muslims, uh, specifically because, um, you know, the early generation of the Muslim community, you know, the generation that came during the 60s and the 70s, mm. they're priorities were the basic necessities so building mosques having halal meats um you know uh, just finding any job taxi drivers things like that any job that could actually just support them financially but the second the third generation your generation my generation though i'm actually i came to britain as, as a refugee i wasn't born or bred in this country um uh, i i came as a refugee but our our priorities as this for this generation is equal citizenship now that we we have our mosques we have the halal meat but we are equal citizens and what does that mean that we really should have equal access to all areas of life in britain and that includes politics sport music all aspects of life that you must not see us as the others anymore you know we are we should not be at the you know at the fringe of of society but we should be at, at the heart of of society uh, but when it comes to women specifically, women in politics is very tough, generally speaking. Even if you're a white woman, you're subject to misogyny and sexism. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but imagine women of color, what could, what, what kind of things she could face, you know, triple discrimination against your faith, your gender, your color is constant. But at the same time is uh, what, what really helped is actually a lot of people um, who might not even share my faith, definitely Muslims do, but uh, those people who don't share my faith know about the struggle and especially with the rise of Black Lives Matters movement across the globe. There's a lot of talks about representation, a lot of talks about diversity. And I think now the risk is not to fall into the trap of neoliberalism and that representation only needed when it benefits the status quo. And if not, then we should exclude them and, and, and things like that. But I think now, especially the younger generation, they're more open 
not because they're also young, but it's also because of the social media that played a big role in widening the horizon and also connecting people across the globe. And this is how Black Lives Matters movement grew. You know, everyone now knows who, who uh, George Floyd is. You know, we've seen his painting at the heart of Damascus in Syria. You know, people who are actually subject to war are actually connecting with the struggle of African-Americans in, in America, which for me is, is beautiful to see. And the final thing I wanted to actually ask was that if, um, if inshallah, you, you, you have a successful career in politics and, and one day you find yourself um, at the House of Parliament walking in those um, quite beautiful corridors, no, I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, go on. <laughs> Sorry? The Senate. Is the Senate? The no, 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 but you were you, in, in my imagination, you're coming down to, to our lowly um, Westminster, Westminster setup no. at some point. <laughs> no, 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 but uh, for, for the hypothetical, let, let's, let's go with it. So, so you're no, walking you down and, and you cross paths with um, Boris Johnson. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say to him? What would I say to Boris Johnson if I get elected? <laughs> if, if, oh if, I said, if, you, if you bumped into him at some point. This moment comes, yeah, and I will say one thing. I am not a letterbox. I am a member of the Senate, Mr. Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, Thank you, thank you very much for your time and for sharing uh, your your experiences and 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 I've I've learned as I said a little bit more about the Welsh um, political system. If ever I come across uh, an incident where I, I need to know more about the Senate, Sen Senate or Seneth? Yeah, Seneth. Seneth. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I can pronounce Plaid Cymru apparently, so I'll I'll take that as a as a win from today. Um, yeah. But no, thank you again. Uh, is, is there anything else you wanted to, to add or mention or say before we wrap up? No, oh, uh, thank you so much. I just, just I need uh, everyone to, to pray for me. That is, is, if it's best for me, that God makes it happen. That's all. Thank you. Inshallah. Thank you very much. So that was my conversation with Sahar. Um, I think uh, it was, well, at least for me personally, just quite eye-opening to, to think about Welsh politics as as being separate from from British um, because we have this very London-centric view um, I guess you know m the majority of organizations and entities in the kind of Muslim space in the UK are, are London-based um, there's a lot happening up north generally as well like I remember we did a podcast with uh, Mubin uh, who's based in Rotherham um, and we're kind of speaking about that and, and, and again that world is completely alien to me just because of the context um, of, of I guess like how uh, multicultural and diverse London is and, and, and how there's just so much going on here whereas other parts of the UK have very kind of specific unique problems and just general um, uh, things I guess that, that are, are different to other parts um, so yeah, and also I think, you know, Sahar has, as I mentioned, um, has been around for a long time, um, very active uh, and very vocal in these different spaces. And I think, you know, her potentially um, coming into politics and I think, you know, she would be the first um, Niqabi politician in Europe, which I think is hugely, hugely significant and and uh, trailblazing. And, and 
I think you know a big part of having these conversations on the podcast is also about showing people what is possible what can be done with um, the right attitude um, and and I guess grit and determination and not like I, I mean even broadly with the Muslim vibe it's always been about um, us using this platform to to empower Muslims and, and to, to really um, I guess strengthen from within but that so we can go out into wider society and be ambassadors and role models and 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 be change makers so Sahar is a great example of someone that's done that that has spent you know most of her time as she mentioned stop, you know working from the ground up um, but now has sort of seen the opportunity um, and the time to to, to get in at like a policy level and, and, and try and make a change. So, of course, we wish her all the best and, and we'll definitely be keeping a, a close eye on how things go. So I think the the internal election, she said, was at the end of October, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then if she gets selected for the seat, then the, the elections um, are in May next year. So you know who, who knows? Um, we could we could be speaking to her again after May, and and she could be a a, a fully fledged Welsh politician by that point, which is incredibly exciting. Um, but yeah, that that's it, I guess, for another podcast. We will be back. Uh, we might not have one next week, but we I'm recording two or three. Actually, no, I think we do have. I think we're good. Don't worry. Um, crisis averted, guys. Yes. So. I guess on that note, if this is the first podcast you've listened to, or if you've listened to a couple but not really decided to subscribe, now is probably the time to hit hit the subscribe button. Um, And if you have already subscribed, then be sure to give us a five-star rating on whichever app it is that you listen. I don't think you can do it on Spotify, annoyingly, but I know Apple Podcasts you can, so so give us a nice thumbs up, five stars, whatever. Um, And yeah that's that, that's it really uh we will be back as i said i think hopefully next week I've, I've got some very exciting topics and guests lined up for the for the coming week so so do stay tuned um and we'll see you again soon inshallah take care guys